This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groniger and Clint Schweitzer. It's the dog days of summer, but that doesn't mean that we're not thinking about football 24-7 here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Clint Schweitzer, alongside Noah Groniger, as always. Guys, like I said, we are hitting in the middle of July here. It's hot outside. There's not a lot going on. We're sitting here watching things like the American Century Celebrity Golf Championship just for a little shred of entertainment because this is the calm before the storm, Noah, as we head in to the month of August as things get really heated. But you know what? We wanted to keep things rolling here on the Elite to bring on our guest this week, former Super Bowl championship winning quarterback Brad Johnson from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've got it right here. That's why this show is called The Elite because we bring on the elite guests and that's going to be happening here this week. No, it's going to be good to get back in the fray. Have a guest join us. Brad Johnson, man, Super Bowl champion there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2002. Yeah, two stints with the Vikings, played at Florida State under Bobby Bowden. He's, he's got two kids, Max and Jake, a uh, quarterback and a tight end that are at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. So there's a lot of topics to get into, some Rich Gannon, some Warren Moon, the John Gruden, the Super Bowl's T.O., Keyshawn Johnson. I mean, this guy played a long time, a Super Bowl champion, like you said, and there's a lot to get into. Well, and I feel like maybe Brad Johnson, unfairly, similarly to a Trent Dilfer, get sort of put into this category by the media. You, of course, when it comes to Super Bowl championships, you think about Tom Brady and seven that'll probably never be broken. You think about Joe Montana and uh, Terry Bradshaw with four. Those are, those were thought to be at, you know, absolutely unattainable for, yeah. for many quarterbacks going forward until Tom Brady came along. Uh, you know, Eli Manning and Peyton Manning have their two, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers have one, but then you got this category for, Brad Johnson and Trent Dilfer, they're, they're these quarterbacks that are kind of enigmas where you say, you know, you you have to have the, a top 10 defense in NFL history to win a quarterback with a Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson. Now, I think that's a little bit unfair because Brad Johnson threw for, gosh, like 26,000 yards, uh, six, 166 interceptions over a 17-year career, um, you know, with, with many different teams. We talked about his stint with the Vikings, two different ones. He played for the Commanders or whatever, uh, <laughs> uh, winning that Super Bowl with, with – do you feel like that there's an unfair stigma for, for Brad Johnson or even Dilfer and Johnson to kind of be thrown into this category? I think so, because you saw Gerbach get the very next year after they got rid of Trent Dilfer, win the Super Bowl, right. get rid of Trent Dilfer. Elvis Gerbach comes in and he doesn't just automatically take them to a Super Bowl. So it's not just any Tom, Dick, or Harry can come in here and win a Super Bowl with the 2002 Bucks defense, 2000 Ravens defense. So they deserve a little bit of the tip of the cap and uh, they kept the ship on the straight and narrow. They kept it on course and they got that Super Bowl trophy. So uh, I don't think this is something where you look at them and just completely cast them off. I mean, they kept, like I said, they kept it on course and they got that Super Bowl trophy and not every quarterback can do that. When things start heating up here in the summer, it gets to be mid to late July. You start looking ahead to football season. You're in the absolute heat of summer, especially here in the Midwest. When you bring on a guest like we have this week with Brad Johnson, it just 
every single time we do this, every summer when we start getting close, I just start getting tunnel vision for football. When we get into it with these type of players, with someone like a Brad Johnson that's very analytical and can take you through so many different parts of the game and talk about many different kinds of players. He's, he's coached football. He's coached youth football. He's got two sons. Like we said at, at Texas A&M, I think Max Johnson probably has the leg up to be the starter yeah. there at Texas A&M. So when we get here, I start really, uh, things start heating up for us, uh, you know, as, as Starcade media, for us as individuals, for us as fans, this is kind of that last point that American century golf championship is like that last kind of cutoff where you start thinking, man, we got, uh, we got a, the Hall of Fame game coming up, the pro, the Hall of Fame enshrinement, which will be at in Canton, coming up at the very beginning of August, and then it's just off to the races. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, training camp at the end of the month, uh, like you said, we're going to be in Canton, Ohio. We got preseason games going, and then before you know it, the season's going to be here, and we're going to have shows daily. Just we're going to just keep churning them yeah. out. So make sure you stay tuned here at Starcade Media. And like uh, Clint said, there we're chomping at the bit. We got Brad Johnson. We've got more coming up. And, uh, man, it's just a race to the finish line to get to this season because we have been hungered for this ever since that Super Bowl, really the AFC Championship game when the Chiefs lost to the Bengals. Looked like they had the game sewn up and then a horrible (laughs) right before halftime play. They blow it in the second half. It's uh, Bengals-Rams in the Super Bowl. We're at the Super Bowl. We're on Radio Row, and McCole Hardman and Travis Kelsey are walking by us. Cool but we don't really want to see them there because they're preparing for the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they weren't. Hope they are for Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona, because we'll be there. And hopefully the Chiefs will be playing there, not just walking around Media Row. That's right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take you right to our interview this week. It is with former Super Bowl champion, two-time Pro Bowl quarterback, Brad Johnson. And if you want to see the video of this, head over to our YouTube channel, Starcade Media. You can see the video. So you got to be a subscriber to our YouTube channel to get those videos like right when they hit. So you want to see this interview, head over and check out the video. We got it for you up there. So be sure that you do that. So enjoy our interview this week with none other than quarterback Brad Johnson. And welcome to the Elite Sports Podcast here, powered by Starcade Media. We are here with a very special guest. That is certainly Super Bowl champion Brad Johnson. Brad, we saw some of the highlights there from your TikToks, from some of your trick shots, man. First off, just how how did you get into doing some of those? Because that that is great stuff. And man, guys, go go check it out. It's uh, on Brad's Instagram, Brad underscore Johnson underscore fourteen. Yep, I think that's it. So <laughs> I've only been in social media here pretty soon. The first time I signed up for it, it was all kinds of crazy numbers on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, actually a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit, the kids were home. It was the best family time we ever had. I mean, we were we were talking, having discussions. We were eating. We were family time. We're playing checkers. We're making playing whatever the game it was. And then my kids got on TikTok and I said, let me see what that thing is. And so... <laughs> And so when I first got on there, I put a lot of a lot of my videos of workouts, my work, like personal workout videos and of my playing career. Then I started seeing some trick shots and stuff. So what I tried to do with <laughs> with my trick shots is basically it's not just one trick shot, like hit it with a hammer and knocking a goal, which is, there's a lot of elite guys like that. But I tried to make three, four, maybe five shots in a row with a football, basketball. And and honestly, it's fun for me to make. It's challenging. People will ask, how long does it take? And I'll tell you, it's a lifetime of practice. I mean, it just doesn't happen overnight. I'll tell you, it takes what it takes. You'll see the sweat. And sometimes it's first time, first take. But I've had fun doing it. 
sharing it and hopefully I entertain, hopefully never disappoint and just bring a little laughter in the, uh, in the social media world. Absolutely. And you mentioned your kids. Uh, they're on TikTok. I see them in the videos taking part with you. You got Max and Jake at Texas A&M. Max started off at LSU. How they both kind of wind up at Texas A&M. And it sounds like Max could be the starting quarterback uh, come this fall. Yeah, it's um, really they don't make a lot of TikToks. They kind of they're kind of not on it. They did a couple years ago, a little bit more. So Jake, my youngest son, but um, we have two boys. My wife, Nikki, and I have been married for 23 years. Uh, we live in Athens, Georgia. And uh our two boys, Max, he's a quarterback. He first went to LSU, uh, started uh, started like 12, 13 games there. Loved it, loved his teammates and all those kind of things. But um, sometimes you changes are necessary. And uh, so he went to Texas A&M. He was recruited by Jimbo Fisher when he was at Florida State. You're just in a time of change now with coaches, players, transfer portal. It's hard to really explain. And you have to do what's in your best interest. So uh, he loves it there. Jake uh, was committed to LSU. He decommitted, and then they're both roommates now. They were getting ready to split. Jake was getting ready to go to Oklahoma. Max had different plans, and it was just – they were uh, very gracious and very thankful for Tex A&M and Jimbo Fisher that they're roommates. They're going to play together and uh, play on the bright lights. It's going to be kind of fun. That's awesome. Well, well, you're there in SEC country in Athens, Georgia, home of the defending national champions. you got two sons at Texas A&M, and now we got Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference as college football just continues one domino after another. This college football world that we live in is is not the one necessarily that you played in there at Florida State in the early 90s, my friend. Yeah, no doubt. When I was at Florida State, um, the school at that time in athletics, we were in the Metro Conference. I played basketball also. So I played against Purvis Ellison and uh, Elliot Perry and, and uh, Bimbo Coles at Virginia Tech. and all. I mean, I, I played against them all. But in football, we were independent. And so we played a lot of the same schools, but then we played – you know, we're independent, like a lot like what Notre Dame is now. Yep. And so um, my brother-in-law, uh, Mark Rick, he coached me at Florida State, was the head coach here at Georgia. So we kind of, we've kind of grown up here in Athens and SEC football and all those kind of things. But yeah, the landscape is changing. I mean, you see, you know, coaches going from place to place. You see, in, is it the ACC? Remember the Big East? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember, yeah, you remember Chris Mullen and St. John's? And, right. And, Georgetown, and Patrick and, Ewing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was, that was yeah. the Big East, man. But then they spread out. Like, what? Who, who's in the conference now? You know? And so that's kind of the way sports are going now. And obviously, it's money-driven. I mean, who, who would ever think UCLA and USC would be in the Big Ten? I don't even know what that conference is called anymore. Like, how did that happen? But it's a money-making drill. And uh, so that's, it, you know, as a, as a kid now, you, you go to the best place that you want to be be coached by, then let the TV people work itself out. And us as fans, we'll just figure it out as um, as the TV people and the <laughs> NCAA people make those decisions. Well, Nick Saban says they don't have to pay for recruits like they do at A&M, so I don't know if there's any checks heading your way. Hopefully so. I mean, my God, if Saban's going to make all these statements, we might as well just you know get the money to the right people here. What's going on, Brad? Well, let, let me be upfront about that. I offer, I offer to pay for my son Jake to be a walk-on at Texas A&M. So – when you make statements like that, be careful when you include everyone. Absolutely. I mean, everyone, everyone is not us. Right. And uh, so I'll, I'll be very firm about that. Uh, for the love of the game, I'm all about that. Right fit, right place, I'm all about that. So sometimes things are said without uh, really putting a lot of thought into it. And uh, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to your playing days, I mean, we're heading into the Hall of Fame here. 
a guy you play with, Leroy Butler, is going into the Hall of Fame uh, come early August. I mean, you played with him at uh, Florida State for a couple years. You played against him uh, when he was with the Packers. You were with the Vikings. Talk about kind of Leroy, the teammate, the opponent, and the person. Yeah, when I went to Florida State, the very first day that you go, the very first two days that you go to Florida State, offensive players go to the defensive coaches. Defensive players go to the offensive coaches. And so they put you through their agility drills. I was going through Mickey Andrews, the defensive coordinator there for years. I'm, he's telling me to slide, move, dive on the ground, and all those <laughs> kind of things. And I looked at the guy on my right, and I was going side by side with a guy named Leroy Butler. And I'm like, who is this guy? This guy is legit. And so, when I, you know, our secondary was Deion Sanders, yep. was Leroy Butler, uh, Martin Mayhew, who played 14 years in the NFL, won a uh, Super Bowl with the Redskins, now a GM. Um, and Dedrick Dodge, who played seven years, won a Super Bowl with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. I mean, yeah. that's legit <laughs> corners, you know what I mean, safeties. But Leroy played against him a bunch when he was in, in Green Bay. I thought he was the first safety that kind of changed the game when the game was going because – they brought him down in the box a little bit later, like how John Lynch was brought in the box yep. and could defend the run, but then also could cover people one-on-one. Uh, special player, you know, obviously he's a Hall of Famer now. I wish he had made Hall of Fame 10 years ago. And uh, it kind of becomes logjam, but have all the respect in the world. Uh, obviously he started – I think he started the uh, Lambeau Leap there mm -hmm. in uh, Lambeau Field. And great person, great guy. I think he's in the media world now, but uh, no more person deserves it to put that golden jacket on the Leroy Butler. I think he goes by Leroy, but I always call him Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to talk about your your former coach there at Florida State, Bobby Bowden. Someone here, even growing up in Missouri, I just had such an admiration for that Florida State program. Man, when you when you live in the Midwest and it's you got cold winters and you look down at a, a school like Florida State and you got these great athletes and putting up these tremendous numbers, quarterbacks like yourself, you know, got you know guys like Chris Winkie and you know Charlie Ward. It just I became enamored with that school and Bobby Bowden was a big part of that. The the personality, how enigmatic he was as a person and the kind of leader he was. I mean, Bobby at age 90 got COVID, survived only to, to finally succumb uh, to his illnesses at age 91, I believe. Just kind of talk about Coach Bowden as far as a, a person, as a coach, and, and how instrumental he was in your development that kind of led to your uh, tremendous career in the NFL. Yeah, Coach Bowden uh, coached 34 years at one school. It's incredible. That doesn't happen. It just It's just incredible. And I remember when he came into my house, uh, up in Black Mountain, North Carolina on his recruiting visit. And he gave me a spill about Florida State and all those kind of things. And he says, at the end of the conversation, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yes, sir, I, I got two questions. You, are you going to play the best player? I was bold, okay? 18-year-old, <laughs> you're going to play the best player? Like, yeah. And then and I said, how much longer are you going to coach? You know, and I, at the time, we thought he was old, older. And, and I think he was like in his 60s at that time, 62, 63. And um, – End up coaching a lot longer. And yeah. I remember at Florida State, when, he, when I first went there, I think he had 165, 170 wins. Went on his, on his 200th win. Okay, we beat LSU in, in Doe Campbell Stadium. And then on that Monday, he called a team meeting. Usually we meet at 1.30. He called a team meeting at 1 o'clock. And I told my roommate, I said, Gene, his name is Gene Howe. I said, Gene, I don't know. I got a feeling Coach Bowden's going to retire today. I don't know, man. It's just he's going to announce his retirement Tell us first. I, he's never called a meeting like this before. And, to be honest with you, he gave his testimony that day. And to the team, like to, for that to happen in college these days, like, wow, it's incredible. And so later he goes on and wins 300, and, I don't know, 65, 70 yeah. games. I don't know what he won. <laughs> but when, when I remember 
it was October uh, 13th, 2013, I believe. Uh, him and his wife, they named the field, Doe Campbell Stadium. They, they, they named it Bobby Bowden Field. Mm-hmm. And we had about 400 players show up as they were naming it for him. And he walked out, him and his wife, Ann, they walked out from the goalpost all the way out to the midfield. And he's going to spike the, uh, the spear in the middle of the field. And uh, we weren't talking about how many games he won, the national championships, the Heismans. We were really talking about the impact he made on our lives. You talk about the mustard mm-hmm. seed, like, you know, we've all become uh, fathers, uh, people of the community, um, coaches. And you talk about changing generations for life to, for, for lives to come. And that's to say Bobby Bowen was my coach. I can't speak long enough about it, but uh, awesome coach. And I uh, only had first class. Things didn't go great for me at Florida State as a player, but I only had first class things to say about him. And, and, and that's my coach and that's my school. Yeah, and sometimes uh, the impact off the field is more important than what happens on the field, and that's the case right there uh, with you and Bobby Bowden. But you're a ninth-round pick. I mean, you have two stints with the Vikings. Talk about some of the great quarterbacks that you played with. I mean, a Rich Gannon, a Randall Cunningham, a Warren Moon, Dante Culpepper as well. Uh, Just kind of what you were able to learn from them as a ninth-round pick, a young kid coming in, uh, then your second stint with Minnesota, just these great quarterbacks that you got to play with. I think you always learn from others. When I was at Florida State, to change it a little bit, I was with uh, Peter Tom Willis, played in the NFL four years. Danny McManus played 19 years in the Canadian League. Uh, Chris Winkie won a Heisman National Championship. Charlie Warren won a Heisman National Championship. Casey Weldon was runner-up. Uh, Kenny Felder was a uh, first-round baseball pick, like competitive. In the pros, Rich Gannon, Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, uh, Randall Cunningham, Jeff George. Mm-hmm. Um, the list goes on. And I think what you learn is you, you just you, – you, you, you learn from others. You learn how to compete. You learn how to respect others. You learn how to help others. Um, you know, I think, honestly, probably for me, the, the most important guy in my career backing up was Warren Moon. And uh, because I was still young at the time, I learned how he dealt with, um, dealt with the media, how he dealt with touchdowns, how he dealt with adversity, throwing interceptions, losing games, um, the impact he had on the team and community. And then I was able to kind of learn from him and then pass it on. So uh, unbelievable the amount of quarterbacks. I only listed just a handful of guys, but mm-hmm. but you learn to to, to pass it on. And uh, but very thankful for all those guys with. Who had a prettier ball when they threw it and coming off their hand? Was it Dan Marino or Warren Moon? I go back and forth with those two all the time. Well, I, I didn't get to play with uh, Dan Marino. I played against him one time. Saw him play a couple times as a backup, but. He was spectacular now, spectacular. But um, Warren Moon, I thought he threw a pretty ball. I mean, it was pretty. I remember we were playing the Saints one time, and the game was kind of an ugly game, to be honest with you. I think we were down uh, 13 to 7, something like that. And like 20 seconds to go, third third and eight on the eight-yard line against the Saints, and we call a timeout. And we come over to the sidelines, and like we're worried about, is it going to be an all-out blitz? What, you know, is it going to be – are they going to play quarters coverage? What are they going to do? And – all this conversation is taking place between, between Denny Green and the offense coordinator, Brian Billick. And I remember Warren, he asked the, uh, the head trainer, Dennis Ryan, he said, Dennis, hey, I need, a, I need, I need two things. I need, a, I need some lip balm <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I need a file for my finger. And when he did that, because I've been running so long, I actually went down and sat on the bench. I said, something good's getting ready to happen. <laughs> and, and he was calm about it. But actually when Warren threw the ball, it's like he put his fingernail in the ball and you could hear it click when the ball came off of his finger and it was spectacular he threw a touchdown pass or a corner pass to Kadri Ishmael 
we win the game. And uh, I just remember how calm he was and I threw a pretty ball. I mean, Brad, you, you go on to throw for over 29,000 yards in your career, 166 touchdowns, yet there, there's some kind of strange media stigma attached to you. It's almost like the national media has created a separate category for championship quarterbacks. It's like, okay, Tom Brady, he's won six. Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, they've got four. Eli and, and Peyton Manning, they've got two. And it's like, well, you can win a Super Bowl with a Brad Johnson or a Trent Dilfer if you have a, a top 10 defense in NFL history. Do you... Do you feel slighted when 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 that comes up? Because it seems like that there there's media's conveniently tried to fit you and Trent Dilfer into some kind of category together for quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls. You know, there, there's only 46 presidents ever. Right. There's only 67 guys I think that've won the Masters. I think there's 86 or 87 guys that've won the Heisman. 120 some odd, 130 some odd Kentucky Derby winners. There's only 35 Super Bowl winners. 32 are still living. Bart Starr, Kenny Stabler, and uh, Johnny Unitas, they passed away. And uh, But listen, I, you know, <laughs> I'm happy with my career, what I accomplished, 17 years, um, 13 straight years. I've thrown over 60% and led three different organizations to playoffs. Number one in the NFC the year we won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, <laughs> it's hard to win it. It's hard to win yeah. it. And so you don't do that by being a wooden Indian. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> So I think what's, it's funny how media can sell something and they take a storyline and, and people can take, you know, perceptions. But I think when, you know, you get to know, you know, yeah, a couple of years of college basketball, I was sort of, you know, <laughs> you know I, I was played a long time in the NFL. And uh, so it's interesting how perceptions go, but listen, you can't, you can't fight every, you can't put out every fire and those kind of things. So I just, you know, when, sometimes when people think you're the Billy idiot, I can kind of hold up the ring and say, you know what? It's better to be a has-been than never was. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, Tom Brady can have all those extra Super Bowls that he's got, but you beat him in the quarterback challenge in 2003, so you got that over Tom. Yeah, no doubt. That was, ooh, that was a competitive day. And I remember that day, uh, there were actually seven things I did in the final event to beat him, and no one knows what kind of took place. And you go slow-mo and see what took place. But – I remember that day when Tom lost. If he finished second or third, but I remember how competitive he was. You know, like it was, you know, and I was just like, God, like this guy's gonna have a long career and great career. And what he's done is unbelievable. The, the, him staying healthy, him uh, winning, and winning and winning. It's incredible. <laughs> it's contagious and it's inspiring. So it's fun to, you know, say I'm in the same crowd with him. Yeah. Well, you know, Brad, we had a quarterback here uh, named Alex Smith for five seasons, and uh, his nickname here kind of became Captain Checkdown. Now, Alex Smith, of course, comes to the Chiefs, stabilizes the organization, and kind of puts things off to where we see it now with Patrick Mahomes. He takes the San Francisco 49ers right to the NFC Championship game uh, prior to that. And your former teammate, Sean Salisbury, he's actually a really good friend of ours, kind of gives you this name of Charlie Checkdown as well. Um, first off, you know, and Sean's such a good friend of ours. Like, do you, do you have you guys like, Talk since are you guys cool? Because I think he's one of the best analysts in the business. And what did you think of that that moniker? Because Alex Smith was kind of given that here, yet all he did was win regular season games. You won a Super Bowl again. We're talking about these kind of stigmas and that check down stigma stigma of like not going deep, not you know maybe pushing the ball downfield as many times as people think leads to this this check down thing. I don't. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was actually with Sean for uh, a couple of years in, in, in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. He had a big, big impact on my career. 
just because we were on the sidelines together and, uh, you know, talking through two-minute situations or what might happen on the clock or what you might need you to do here, just being in the meeting rooms with him. Very smart guy, done incredible. If you actually listen to him on the radio and TV, like so he's, good. Really got, he's got great, got great nice. analogies, got great uh, enthusiasm, uh, smart for the game. And, and it's funny how perceptions of words kind of get lost, but th- there's this guy named um, Greg Maddox. Baseball pitcher, you know, he can throw the heater, you know, no, he doesn't. He throws the ball about 85 miles an hour. (laughs) He paints the corners, you know, he gets what's called a head in the count. One and oh, you know, I mean, uh, one ball two, you know, one strike, no balls. He puts, he puts the pressure on you, you know, those kind of things. So same thing in tennis, you get your first serve in, you're probably going to win as a quarterback. There's a thing called never go broke, taking a profit, (laughs) broke, taking a profit, believe in it. And the thing about it is you got to get ahead in the rundown game. And so there's a lot of great players, a lot of great receivers. You have to give those guys a chance to make plays. But, you know, the best guy with the ball in his hand? It's the guy in the backfield. It's the guy with the catch and the ball. It's the running back. And so – and so, but what I always say is coverage dictates where the ball goes. So if the guy's open down the field, you take it. But you got to be able to get to, through your progressions. There's five eligible guys that you can throw to. And I love if that ball's open. I'm the first guy gets open, it's gonna get the ball. Go through your progressions, but check downs. If, for all you young quarterbacks, take that check down when it's there. You'll have a long career. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes has kind of had to find that out the hard way, and he's kind of says that he has to keep reminding himself, take the check down, take the check down. It's there. You don't have to force it down the field. So that's a good lesson. Well, it, it's a lost art, to be honest yeah. with you, and that's communication with your running back. Hey, it's cover two. Hey, go, bro, get out, get out, get out. You know what I mean? And, and just those guys not blocking all day and then get them out. And it may, it spreads the whole open, it spreads the field out. But Alex Smith is a great player. I think, I think what happens with a lot of quarterbacks, um, when you think, when you think of Super Bowl champions, Tom Brady, Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, uh, Steve Young, Aaron Rodgers, like go through the whole freaking list. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Michael Vick, Steve McNair, they, they didn't win at Carson Palmer's, but they actually sat on the bench first six weeks, the first year maybe, and they weren't throwing it to the fire too fast. And I think the art of just learning to play the game, and I think that happened even with Patrick Mahomes. Right. The first yeah. game, maybe he was throwing it to the fire too fast. Maybe he wouldn't have been developed. Develop is a lost, quote, art in the game. Everybody's throwing these guys in the fire too fast. And so I think him being around Alex Smith had a big impact on his career, Being obviously being with Andy Reid and the talent that they have. But learning how to play the game, learn how to manage meetings, Take notes, be prepared. Those are I, Alex Smith probably doesn't get enough credit um, for what he accomplished, and probably just giving it to passing it on to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and Clint keeps bringing up stigma, so I'll just get this last one out of the way. Uh, John Gruden uh, comes over to you guys after Tony Dungy. How much did he really help you against the Raiders? Everyone likes to say, "Oh, John Gruden knew everything, gave the defense, gave the offense everything in the Raiders playbook. It was an easy Super Bowl for them." Let's get that stigma out of the way. Just how much did John Gruden help? I really wish people would put some thought into it, to be honest with you. He was our coach for one year. He was their coach for four years. They should know our system better than we know their system. Exactly. Don't you think? (laughs) So I really, you know what? They were a great team. We were a great team. It just, it was our day, you know, but Bill Callahan took them all to win. They've been the championship game a couple years. They made an unbelievable run. It was just our day that day, but uh, John Gruden was a huge impact on our team. He ended up bringing in 19 to 21 free agents that year. Yeah. Uh, Joe Jervicious, Kenny McCardell, Ricky oh. Dudley, Ken Dilger, Roman Olman, Kerry. 
Jenkins, Michael Pittman. I mean, the list goes. He had a big impact on just uh, obviously what we had established with within the team, but he made a big impact on our team. Obviously, that day was our. And day. What was it like for you and Rich Gannon? I mean, you guys start out there with the Vikings, and then here you are, years and years later, in the Super Bowl, facing off against each other. Yeah, I have all the respect in the world for Rich, and I was with him his first year in Minnesota. He was tough, smart, um, and he had a kind of crazy career. His first ten years of kind of figuring out his way. He went to Kansas City, got hot yes. in Oakland, was unbelievable MVP of the, of the league. And uh, just I remember when John Gruden got the job at uh, Tampa, the first call I made was to Rich. And uh, so I said, Rich, what was this John Gruden guy like? You know, and he, I remember him saying, Brad, you'll never be more programmed, more prepared to play an NFL game than it is to play with him. So I love playing with, with for Gruden. But, you know, but that day is kind of it was, it's unique that two quarterbacks on the same team got to play against each other. Yes. Yeah, you talked about Keenan McCardell coming in for that O2 team, but and Joe Juravicious as well. But you got Keyshawn Johnson there. Just kind of talk about that offense because I feel like it's it's an unheralded offense, one that I look back at with just absolute you know reverence. You know, Mike Allstott, uh, you know, of course, who's become you know such this revered figure in NFL history and how for how tough he was and uh, running backs like Michael Pittman and and. You know, Aaron Stecker was a great kick returner. I mean, you had so much. So, like, that offense, I feel like, just doesn't get its due. Keenan McCardell is a guy that I've always just, when you look at what he did with Jacksonville with Jimmy Smith, that tandem is one of my favorite tandems in NFL history. Keenan comes over to you guys, and, like, that just seemed like it just clicked. And with Keyshawn already there, that it just was sort of this perfect storm that that lined up for you guys to be successful. Right. The the offense kind of gets lost a little bit because the defense was tremendous. They were. You know what I mean? They had three Hall of Famers and – uh, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, and John Lynch, and hopefully get a couple more, and Rondé Barber and Simeon Rice, and but a lot of other great players on that defense, too, that don't get credit. Shelton yes. Coyles and Brian Kelly and Dexter Jackson, the MVP, and Greg Spires, <laughs> the other tackle. Like, I mean, but offensively, we we averaged a lot. We The second half of the season, you look at it, we were scoring over 28 points a game. At that time, it was a different kind of game. And and honestly, you look at first-half numbers compared to our second-half numbers, a lot of times we play with the lead and we'd run the clock out. Uh, so you don't get quite the crazy numbers that you get uh, at that time. The game has changed, but three receivers and Keyshawn and Joe Jervicious and Keenan McCardell, phenomenal players, big receivers in the West Coast system were perfect in that system, great blockers too. And then Mike Allstop, Michael Pittman. I mean, we had a lot of just a lot of weapons. We took care of the ball, did not turn it over very much at all. Uh, we scored every possession after every turnover that year. It's pretty incredible. And we scored every uh, – we scored – I'll say this, inside the red zone, inside the red zone we scored every time, whether it's a field goal or touchdown. So there's just a lot of positives there. Yeah. You know, you have to have everything, everything go right. But the offense doesn't get enough credit. But that, you know, at the end of the day, you're playing for a ring, and, and, and it goes back to perception sometimes. Yeah, you played uh, with Keyshawn Johnson, with T.O., the kind of two of the receivers that have that perception out there, tough to play with. They're always coming back to the quarterback, screaming at him, I'm open, what are you doing? Uh Talk, talk to us about playing with Keyshawn and T.O. and what it was really like. Yeah, actually, you know, it's crazy. Uh, I played with Chris Carter, Randy Moss, and oh, yeah. Andre Reed and Tim Brown and um, Jake Reed and Jason Witten. I mean, played a lot of great players over time, and hard to mention them all. But, but you know, Keyshawn was actually one of the easiest receivers I ever played with, to be honest with you. Now, perception-wise, he was in the media, and there's – he wrote that book called Give Me the Damn Ball and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But but I remember there's a game, a Monday night football game, we we're playing the Rams, and he had like no catches at halftime. And I tell you, the coverage is all for me was always going to dictate where the ball goes. And I remember I, in the huddle, I said, Hey, Key, man, I'm going to get you some balls here. Don't worry. And he's like, Brad, don't worry about it. 
just make the read. We got to win this game, and I'll get I'll catch plenty of balls. He ended up catching like six balls that night. But I remember it was just like he was. He's actually easy for me to play with. Um, so I I didn't have any problem with Key. And then Terrell, when I was in Dallas, I actually I, I was backing up Tony Romo. Only yeah. got to play a couple games there, but I his his work ethic was phenomenal. He was a good teammate. Some things kind of get lost with him with perception wise with you know, some things that kind of took place. I think things were always blown out of proportion a little bit with him and, and um, different, different kind of guy, but I really appreciated who he was and his greatness of being uh, you know, a Hall of Fame player. Well, when you think about football, you think about time and place and how different things could have went in, in different directions. And, and I go back to the 01 offseason, which is where you go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but the Baltimore Ravens had uh, been pursuing you after their Super Bowl season because, you know, winning a Super Bowl with tr this Trent Dilfer guy, well, that's not enough. We've got to go get a, a real quarterback out here. So they're pursuing you. They go with Elvis Gerback. So I've just said real quarterback and Elvis Gerback in the same sentence. Won't do it again. Uh, this is as Chiefs fans here, Brad, give, give us a break. Right, um, and right. so just to think about how all that went, do you kind of remember the, the process of how did, did you kind of have a preference either way Baltimore goes with Elvis or did you kind of steer that or your agent steer that in a, in a different direction to get you to Tampa? Yeah, it was steered. No, it was totally different. <laughs> totally different. Um, obviously I had the choice to go to Baltimore. I had a great relationship with Ryan Billick. I was going to go there. And then uh, what happened, honestly, the contract was a better contract in Tampa and two reasons why I went to Tampa. Okay. So one, the contract was better Two, Tampa had never won a Super Bowl. Baltimore just won it, and I felt like I want to put my stamp on my career with a new team that mm -hmm. uh, hadn't won a championship in the state of Florida since Bob Greasy in 71, 72. So I felt like it was a right fit for me. I had a great relationship with Tony Dungy and um, knew him for three years. We put, were together in Minnesota, so um, it was my decision. And then I, I chose to go to, um, to Tampa, and then Elvis came to to uh, Baltimore, and then Trent went to, I believe, Seattle. Yeah, I mean, first uh, to win a Super Bowl there in Tampa, and then first also to catch your own pass and run it in for a touchdown, 1997 against the Panthers. Uh, we experienced that here in Kansas City in a playoff game. Marcus Mariota caught his own pass for a touchdown, ended up beating us. That's a memory we'll just move on from. But uh, talk about you being the first guy to do that and when you kind of learned that. Yeah, we were, I was playing for the Minnesota Vikings. I think it was 1997, I think. 97. Yeah. 97 against the Panthers. Yep, you got it. And, uh, we were on the three-yard line. It was third down. The play was called far left, uh, far left slot, spear, rip down. So basically it was a uh, stick route by the tight end and the fullback on the flat. And I dropped back. I threw the ball. I was throwing to Andrew Glover. The ball got tipped up to me. So at that time, usually he would bat the ball down. But I knew we were in field goal range. So if I actually caught the ball – we still could kick the field goal from that range. And, uh, but then you, I knew you could make a double pass, two, four passes. So yeah. I scrambled, I dove into the end zone. Um, they called it for seven points, six points. And then after the game, I was out eating with my family. I got a phone call that said, Hey Brad, man, that counted as a touchdown pass and a touchdown catch. And um, so it's 12 points in fantasy football, won an SB award for <laughs> play of the year yeah, and those kind of things. And, and uh, so it's just cool to say that was, Right place, right time. If I'd have been on the four-yard line, I might have been a yard short. On the three-yard line, it, it kind of worked out. So it's just a co cool play. And then later, uh, Marcus Mariota, he made that play against uh, Kansas City when he was in yep. Tennessee. I actually talked to Marcus about it. And, and uh, so it's always kind of cool to be the first.
Yeah, yeah, it uh, that that's just bringing back some bad memories, like Noah said. Um, <laughs> but yes, your yours was that's the first one I I, I remember. The only one I want to remember that was a, a great play, Brad. What what does the game of football kind of mean to you today? Because you you know you come in, you're drafted by the Vikings. You have two separate stints in Minnesota. You win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You live kind of on the East Coast. You live in Georgia. You got sons at A and M. You played at Florida State. It, ha- how has it been kind of transitioning into just kind of being a fan of the game, watching the game? I see a lot of your uh, TikToks and on Instagram that a lot of stuff with, with Tampa right. fans, with Tampa Bay Jersey on, are you able to kind of make that transition as a fan? Like who do you cheer for these days? Just kind of as a fan. Yeah. yeah I don't really cheer for anybody. Uh, yeah. I got, I got, I cheer for people and situa- yeah. I just love good football. I love good yeah. sports. It doesn't matter what the sport is. And, and so, um, I, I, I love all my time everywhere, to be honest with you, in Washington and Vikings and Dallas and Tampa. Like, played one year in London Monarchs and those kind of things. But I'm I, you know, very thankful for my career. So I, you know, videos are kind of come out however they come out. So not, I don't really choose one team over another with the TikTok kind of thing. But, you know, I, I, I think sports are incredible. I think football is awesome. I think it's the ultimate team game. Um, so many players on the team, so many coaches, so many situations everyone one player in tennis can't you just can't dominate the game it takes it's a total team game it's year-round work it's it's uh it's it's team it's it's competitive it's situations it's 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 playing hurt it's dealing with adversity those kind of things and so now i've actually i've coached every kind of football you can think of from youth football middle school football high school football went to a couple state championships i help out youth football kids trying to throw the football whatever it may be and uh, so i just love kind of giving back what do you make of Patrick Mahomes? I mean, he came bursting onto the scene, 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, MVP, uh, wins a Super Bowl, and then loses. I want to kind of also ask about that Super Bowl against uh, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers there and what happened there. I mean, the Chiefs were decimated on the offensive line. It was just a long, hard day for Patrick. But, uh, man, him bursting on the scene in 2018, kind of taking the league by storm. It's incredible. I mean, obviously he's loaded with talent. Um, athletic family with his dad playing baseball, those kind of things, but uh, has a unique ability to just throw the ball in any kind of weather, any kind of angle, not afraid of the moment. Uh, to be a leader as young as he is, to win a Super Bowl as young as he was, is incredible. Smart kid, have, is going to have a long career. It's fun to watch, you know, and you really like it. It seems like you like his personality and seeing him playing golf on the golf channel, whatever yeah. he's doing now. You know, <laughs> I mean, just so just a tremendous athlete is what it is. But, uh, but you see that fire that he has, that great leadership skills. That's what that's what gets lost. We 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 kind of watch the, how far he can throw the ball or how hard he can throw the ball. But what gets lost is the art of playing quarterback, and it's so much about being leadership and being consistent and, and just doing it daily. And uh, that's that's what made guys great. It's gonna be fun to watch him for a long time. Uh, Brad, we see so many of the rules in the NFL geared towards the offense, geared towards protecting quarterbacks and from injury and uh, personal fouls and things like that, blows to the head, all these different things that kind of we see now that protect the offense and really lead to quarterbacks putting up bigger numbers and things like that. Or do you ever look at that and just be like, man, where, where was this in 1997? Like what? Do you, <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, it, it really is. It's really a different game for quarterbacks. We, we, we were having a debate with uh, some people about Joe Montana's time here in Kansas city, where he threw, I think 16 touchdowns in one season. I was like, but the impact he had here was so great. Chiefs go to the AFC championship game. Didn't do it again for 23 more years. And also Joe was banged up and he, he was hurt and playing against these defense that could bump and run at the line of scrimmage and mug receivers down the field. Man, this game has just changed so much. It's, it, it's, it really does favor the quarterbacks and really receivers now. Yeah, the game is different. 
Uh, rules are different. Um, schemes are different. Coaches, coaches have gotten better. Kids have gotten better. Players have gotten better. Uh, you see it. I mean, you got youth football. I mean, I was the last quarterback to have ever taken a snap, every snap from underneath center when I played for John Gruden, every snap. Now, I don't know if kids know how to take a snap from underneath center unless you're playing for a wing T school. Okay. So <laughs> the game has changed. Video, video games have changed and chip of me system coverages. RPO games have changed. The numbers are higher, obviously, in the pro game. But it, that's what you want, the evolution of the game to get better. But I'm not going to say um, – I, I think the quarterbacks are tremendous now. Okay, Last year, I think there was only one quarterback that threw below 60%. You had four guys, I think, throw three or four guys throw over 70%. Where in my time or Joe Montana's time, if you threw over 60%, it was a big deal, you know. But the game has changed. There's a lot more bubbles, a lot more screens, a lot yeah. more just getting rid of getting the ball out of your hands. But those guys are very accurate with it. And I'm not going to take anything away from them. But but you can't, it's not fair to compare quarterbacks' numbers today exactly. to the guys of the yesteryear. And the, yeah. the game was a great game back then. It's a great game now. I appreciate the rules, appreciate taking care of the quarterbacks as a fan. You want to see, you know, your healthy players play. So uh, kudos to the league for doing that. And I'm sure the answer is just going to be yes on this, as it probably should be, but I feel like I need to ask it. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, do you say that obviously Tom Brady's the greatest over Joe Montana now with his seven Super Bowls, everything he did. Uh, he did get uh, Bill Belichick, Joe Montana, Bill Walsh, Jerry Rice, John Taylor. Is it an open shut case? Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. I think just to appreciate all their greatnesses, you know what I mean? But I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of both those guys, but um, just because you won a Super Bowl, because you didn't, a Dan Marino, uh, yes. you know, yeah. John Stockton in basketball, don't take that away from those guys either. You know what I mean? But obviously they're all Hall of Famers, but Joe was just fun to watch. It was like he was playing in tennis shoes and just he would throw that little, that little floater out there. Nowadays he probably wouldn't get drafted. He's weak, slow, bad arm, but skinny legs, skinny legs, like golly, not big enough, but beautiful accuracy, timing, anticipation, leadership, playing in the clutch, consistency. That's him. And, but to watch what Tom Brady's done is phenomenal. Well, Brad, we, we honestly can't thank you enough for your time here for jumping on with us today. Um, what do you got next going on? What kind of thing can people be watching for you on TikTok or on Instagram? Brad <laughs> underscore Johnson underscore 14. It looks like you had a heck of a 4th of July. You're red, white, and blue. Just flag waving <laughs> gentlemen. We would get along great, my friend. That's awesome. So what's next? What can we expect next? What's You got any ideas churning? Do we need to give you some ideas? What, what are we going to do next? I got no. Oh, I got so many people trying to give me trick shots and this kind of thing. <laughs> All I can say is just stay tuned. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's honestly in two. There's two Picasso. I've done, I've done some. I don't know how I could ever do again. There's one from. It's called Corner Pocket Second Pole. Stay in the corner of the end zone. Hit the second pole five times. Like could never do it again. I don't know if anybody else will ever do it again. But there's another thing. I'm trying to break the Guinness Guinness World Record. Okay, so it's two basketballs at one time. And right now I hit 82. I'd like to hit 83, 84, make contact with the Guinness World Record. And hopefully they give me a shot at it. So it's going to be kind of fun to watch, see what happens. Oh, we will definitely That's be watching great. and enjoying, Brad. It has been a, a pleasure to, to go down uh, memory lane with you. We will be watching Texas A&M this year, hoping the best for your, both your sons there and really would love to see Max there at, uh, at the helm. I saw him enough at LSU. Uh, in fact, I think he, uh, you know, seeing, seeing what he did there, definitely transitioned well to Jimbo's offense and hopefully a little more wide open actually than than what was going on there at lsu brad thank you so much sir we'll be watching and uh best of luck my friend going forward stay safe and stay healthy my friend 
Awesome. Appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Talk soon. Big thanks to Brad Johnson for joining us. We got into the weeds there on a lot of topics. <laughs> Just a really engaging analytical guy that you can go through. And he's got, you know, very strong opinions about, about all these things. You know, he was there. He did it. He lived it. Super Bowl champion. You don't take that lightly. He's got the banner behind him. If you see the uh, video interview on our YouTube channel, great to catch up with Brad. Yeah, it was. I mean, he told a lot of stories. I've always kind of wondered, does everyone just automatically hand it to Tom Brady? And yes, they do, as they should. I, I fig- feel like they should. I mean, Joe Montana's got four. He was great. But I mean, with seven, it's hard to argue against Tom. And then Warren Moon and Dan Marino, that kind of age-old debate. And uh, he played with Warren Moon. He gave Warren Moon the tip of the cap. And I go back and forth all the time, so I can't even make up my mind. Yeah, and like you said, it's hard to compare quarterbacks from different eras now. That is just really hard to do. And it's almost a fool's errand. 17 games now, stats are just completely skewed. And you can't make heads or tails of it with these eras now. Well, guys, we can't thank you enough for uh, listening here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Uh, always hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, any way you choose to take in the show. We got your back. Again, you want videos of this, just subscribe to our YouTube channel. We don't push those video interviews out there into the public very often because we want those to be uh, specific to our subscribers that, that that get a notification that say, hey, this Brad Johnson interviews up, click it and watch it. Otherwise, you get us here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Of course, as always, you also get our opinions and our thoughts on things on the podcast where you don't get that on the video. So we try to always keep content just blazing out there. We're going to be doing that all football season long. So go to our website, StarcadeMedia.com. That's where everything is archived. Our social, Starcade Media, it's all there. Search us subscribe and get ready for loads of content this football season you won't want to miss a snap a video of it you just don't want to miss any of it guys thanks so much for joining us here on the elite sports podcast sports podcast sports podcast sports podcast sports podcast